Chapter Twenty Six of Peccavi by E. W. Hornung. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A very few words. It had been in the air all Saturday, but few believed the rumor until ten minutes to eleven next morning. At that hour and at that minute, Long Stow was electrified by the measured ringing of a single bell—a bell hoarse with five years' rest and rust a bell no ear had heard since the night of the fire. Gwyneth was afield upon the upland far beyond the church, a pitiful waverer between desire and indecision. Now she must go, and now she must not think of it. It was unnecessary, gratuitous, provocative, ostentatious, unmaidenly, immodest, and yet both her duty and her desire. So the string of adjectives might be applied to her. They were no deterrent to a nature which hesitated often, but seldom was afraid. Gwyneth treated more respectfully the poignant query of her own consciousness. Was she absolutely certain that she did not at all desire to show off like the saddler? She was not. She did desire to show off if it were showing off, to honour openly the man whom she admired, and wished others to admire. She gloried in the man's achievement, and possibly also in her own appreciation of it and him. That was her real point of contact with the saddler. But for Fuller there was the excuse of unconsciousness, and for Gwyneth there was not. So she read herself that Sunday morning under an August sky without a fleck and a sun that drew the resin from those very pine-trees upon which the outcast had so often gazed. It was thereabouts that Gwyneth lingered, of self-analysis all compact. Then the hoarse bell began, came calling up to her from the clump of chestnuts and of elms, calling like a friend in pain. Gwyneth reached the church by way of the strip of glebe behind it, and the gate into this from the lane, thus escaping the throng already gathered at the other gate. She saw nothing but the rude benches as she entered in. The last of these was too near for her. She shrank to the far end of it, close against the wall, and the bell stopped as she sank upon her knees. The beating of her heart seemed to take its place. Then there came a light yet measured step. It passed very near, with a subdued and subtle rustle, that might have yet meant one other woman. But Gwyneth knew better, though she never looked. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Already the girl could not see. All her being was involved in an effort to suppress a sob. It was suppressed. There were no tears in the voice that so moved Gwyneth. How serene it was, though sad! It began to soothe her, as she remembered that it had done when she was quite a little girl. She was a little girl again, these five years fled. But, oh, why had he chosen that sentence of the scriptures? Gwyneth looked at her book, for now she could see, and found that some of the others would have been worse. At last she could raise her eyes and there was Fuller in the very front, and not another soul. But Gwyneth cared for nothing any more except the gentle voice that it was her pride to follow in the general confession, kneeling indeed, yet kneeling bolt upright 
in her proud allegiance. A strange picture, the rude benches, the ragged walls, the east window still a chasm, the hot sun streaming through it down the aisle, and over all the blue cruciform of sky, broken only by nodding plumes of the taller elms. And a congregation yet more strange, only Gwyneth and the saddler. But this did not continue. Gwyneth heard movements in the porch behind her, and presently a stumble on the part of one driven in by the press, but no voices, not a whisper, and ere long he who had been forced in, tired of standing, came on tiptoe and occupied the end of Gwyneth's bench. Now it was the second lesson. The lector was reading it in the same sweet voice, with all his old precision and knowledge of his mother tongue, and never a trip or an undue emphasis. No one would have believed that that voice had been all but silent for five whole years. And yet some change there was, something different in the reading, something even in the choice. The clerical monotone was abandoned, the reading was more human, natural, and sympathetic. The change was in keeping with others. The rector wore no vestments in the naked eye of heaven, but only his cassock, his surplice, and his Oxford hood. There were flowers upon the simple table behind him, such roses as still grew wild in his tangled garden, but no candle to melt double in the sun. The lectern he had done his best to burnish, but it was still a cripple from the fire. Above the rector's hair shone like silver, for the sun swept over it, but the lean dark face was all in shadow. Gwyneth only saw the fresh trim cut of the grizzled beard, and the walnut colour of the gnarled hand drooping over the book. That speaking hand. Now it was the first hymn, actually. So he dared to have hymns, and to sing them if necessary by himself. But it was not necessary, and not only Gwyneth joined in with all the little voice she possessed, but presently there were false notes from the other end of the bench, and the saddler was not silent. But Robert Carlton's voice rang sweet and clear above the west. Jesu, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly, while the gathering waters roll, while the tempest still is high. Hide me, O my Saviour, hide, till the storm of life is past, safe into the haven guide. O receive my soul at last. The hymn haunted Gwyneth upon her knees, taking her mind from the remaining prayers. It was a hymn that she had loved as a little child, and now it seemed so simple and so whole-hearted to one who longed always to be both. But it was the passionate humility of it that touched and filled the heart, and yet there had been neither tremor nor appeal in the voice that led and the humility was only in accord with one of the simplest services ever held. The second hymn was another of Gwyneth's favourites. She could not afterwards have said which, for in the middle Mr. Carlton knelt, and then came forward to the twisted lectern at the head of the aisle. It was not a sermon, it was only a very few words, yet in Longstow nothing else was talked of that day nor for many a day to follow. The few words were these. The first verse of the nineteenth psalm, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. <laughs> 
though i have given you a text my brethren i do not intend this morning to preach any sermon if you care to hear me again if you choose to give me another trial if you are willing to help me start afresh then come again next sunday only come in properly and make the best of the poor benches which are all i have to offer you as yet there will only be one weekly service at present i believe that you could nearly all come to that if you would but i am afraid that many would have to stand i cannot tell you how grieved i am that your church is not ready for you but i hope and believe as i stand before you here that it will be ready soon much sooner than you suppose then one great wrong will be righted though only one meanwhile so long as we are blessed with days like these and i pray that many may be in store for us meanwhile could there be a fitter or a lovelier roof to the house of god than his own sky as we see it above us to-day though at present we can have no music worthy of the name have you noticed during all this our service the constant song and twitter of those friends of man as i know them to be of whom jesus said not one of them is forgotten before god and for incense what fragrance have we not in our unfinished church that is the house of god all the more because it is also his open air my brethren you need be no farther from heaven here in this place unfinished as it is than when the roof is up and the windows are in and proper seats and when a new organ peals and one whom you can respect stands where i am standing now my brethren once my friends will you never never be my friends again oh spare me a little that i may recover my strength before i go hence and be no more seen dear friends i have said far more than i ever meant to say but it is your own fault you have been so good to me so many of you have come in and you are listening to me to me if you never listen to me again if you never come near me any more i shall still thank you thank you to my dying hour but let no eye be dim for me i do not deserve it i do not want it if you ever cared for me any of you be strong now and help me and remember never never forget that a just god sits in yonder blue heaven above us that he is not hard that i told you he is merciful 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 oh look above once more before we part and see again how the heavens declare the glory of god and the firmament showeth his handiwork and now to god the father god the son and god the holy ghost be ascribed all honour power dominion might henceforth and for ever amen he had controlled himself by a superb effort the end was as calm as the beginning but the rather hard almost defiant note that might have marred the latter in ears less eager than gwyneth's and more sensitive than those of the people in the porch that note had passed out of robert carlton's voice for ever and there no longer were any people in the porch one by one they had all crept in to listen some stealing to the rude seats more standing behind none remaining outside thus had they melted the heart they could not daunt 
until all at once it was speaking to their hearts out of its own exceeding fullness in a way undreamed of when the preacher delivered his text and this was to be seen as he came down the aisle white head erect pale face averted and so through the midst of his people his once more without catching the eye of one end of chapter 26